Exodus chapter 20, let me uh, remind you of where we've been. Of course, we're at the bottom of the mountain, right? God has called Moses up to speak to Moses, and Moses is going to go back down and speak to the Israelites, and we, do, we talked last week about uh, the, the Israelites a little bit afraid of what Moses might say, because they know that Moses is God's man, right? Moses is, if you will, the first prophet. And Moses is speaking on behalf of God. And when God speaks, we should listen. We should listen. Remember what we talked about last week? This next slide will remind you of kind of where we're at. The first five, you want to think about them this way, as commandments. There were not really commandments they're imperatives, of course, and you could consider them commandments. But in the Hebrew, they're called ten words. And so you may even begin to count, especially if you're o OCD like I am in a little bit of ways. There's more than ten here. There's five from last week. There'll be six today. But long story short, the Hebrew says the ten words. And the first five are these. Remember, no other gods, right? That's pretty important from God to the Israelites, especially when you're leaving Egypt, who was known for a plethora of gods, right? They were polytheistic. Even the Pharaoh considered himself God. I had an opportunity to sit with Alex and Christian here just a few minutes ago when we were talking about the Passover and Mark and Kathy have done a great job in teaching those guys about the Passover. And we kind of looked at the Passover from Exodus 12 and then also looking forward to the real Passover of what we just experienced, right? But the point is, I think, that we think of we think of Old Testament as being just back then, right? These people should have gotten it. Pharaoh should have gotten it. Why didn't Pharaoh get it as soon as the Nile turned to blood? Why didn't he let the people go? Well, the quick answer is he was stubborn, right? But the Egyptians thought Pharaoh was God. Pharaoh thought Pharaoh was God, right? Hence the very important Message of have no other gods before me. In other words, there's a battle between the Egyptian gods, little g, and the one true God of Yahweh, if that makes any sense for you. Have no idols, right? You can't contain God as we talked about. No worshiping other gods. Don't misuse God's name, which is more than just vernacular. And also keep the Sabbath. What does it mean to have a peace? What does it mean to have a contentment? What does it mean to be still and know that I'm God. And we pick up reading this morning in chapter 20, beginning in verse 12. And he says this, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife. Have you seen a picture? Have you seen a, a theme here? You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled for they stood far off. You would as well, right? When God shows up, why don't we have a reverence for God? When we come into, we come into worship, 
I love what Philip had to say about clean hands. We, we come into worship. We come in together around the table. We come in to remember what Christ has done. But we also come in to receive our marching orders. We come in, in other words, we come in to declare who God is through song. We, we, we petition God for, for His kingdom. We also receive our marching orders to go and be God's people in the world. And to do all of those things, I think it's imperative, it's imperative that, that we stop and we prepare our hearts to hear from God. I wonder how many, no sign of hands or no shaking of heads, but I wonder how many of us do that. How, how many of you anticipate when you open God's Word to meet with God? How many of you anticipate when you pray to God that you hear from God? In other words, it's not just, it's not just, talking right it's it's actually hearing from god it, it's not just words on a page it's allowing god to penetrate the very core of who we are how many of us prepare our hearts for god to show up i'd be willing to bet that it's not very many of us i mean yeah we we may open the word especially if we're spiritual you know we may get three or four days out of the week some of us may read daily, but eventually if we're not careful, it becomes just something that we do. You follow what I'm saying? It's just words on a page. It's just a check you put in the offering plate. It's just a song that you sing. It's not allowing God to be God. I love what it says beginning in verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, you remember, that's the presence of God. They, they understood that Moses was up on the mountain meeting with God. They stood far off. There's something that we have in our Western world, and I, I appreciate God is mysterious in the sense that He's transcendent. We've talked about this in our Bible studies before. God is transcendent, that He's outside of time and space, that He's the one that holds all things together, right? We need a God who holds all things together, amen? So He holds all things together, He's transcendent. Nothing is, is outside of God's purview. God is working in all things, right? Romans 8.28 The mysterious part of God is He's also right here with us. He's imminent, is what we would call that, right? And the, the fact of the matter is, is, we in the West have become so familiar with a God right here with us, that we forget about the God that is holy, the God that is sovereign, and we miss respect for God that is sovereign. Do you follow what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with God calling you His friend. I, I think that's one of the greatest compliments that God, when God calls us His friend, man, I want to be that guy. But God is also the God who tells Moses, you can't look at me and live. You understand what I'm saying? There's a reverence for God, a respect for God that we miss. Is that saying too much? I think the Israelites, as messed up as they were, as dysfunctional as they were, they really, really got it. I mean, God could destroy us like, like that. And notice what it says. They say to Moses in 19, you speak to us and we will listen, but please, please don't let God speak to us lest we die. 
that's not, that just not, you know, sometimes we say things just so they sound really cool, really spiritual, right? I, I don't think, I don't get that here. Moses says to the people in verse 20, don't fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood, that's what a holy God does, right? A holy God has expectations and we've become so grace-driven. And I'm not dismissing grace. Please don't misunderstand. Don't misquote me. I'm not dismissing grace. But we've become so grace-driven that we go and sin and we expect God to forgive us because God is a God of grace. That is cheap grace. That is not grace at all. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes? This is a holy God we're talking about. A holy God. And a holy God has expectations. And we miss it. The first five we talked about last week have to do with our relationship with God. Most of us are familiar with those things. Most of us are comfortable with those things. The last six, as we'll talk about here in just a second, have to do with our relationship with each other. Right? Our, our relationship one with another. Our relationship with our brothers and our sisters and our community around us. We are created, in fact, for community. I show you time after time throughout Scripture that we are created for community. God Himself is community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We just read about it. We just sang about it in the doxology, right? We, we have no issues with worshiping God. We understand a little bit of who God is or you wouldn't be here. Or, or maybe you're just searching, but you're searching for something and you have some kind of idea of who God is. And all of us think, Hey, I need that God who holds all things together. I, I need that God who is not surprised by anything in this broken world. That's not really the issue. The issue is how do we love one another, right? Those of you who've been in our Bible study over here on, on Wednesday nights, when Jesus, you'll remember the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, you've heard that it was said don't murder, but I tell you, anyone who is already angry with his brother enough has already committed murder. That's a relational issue, right? You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. That's a relational issue, right? You hear what Jesus is doing? In Mark chapter 12, verse 33, I think it's here on the screen for you. This is about loving God, loving people, love by going, and to, the, to love Him with all your heart. Remember Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? You know, they're trying to test Jesus. They, they know, they, they know, they know the Torah. These religious people, these Pharisees, they know the Torah. A good attorney never asks a question unless he knows the answer. And so he tests Jesus, and Jesus answers this way, to love Him with all your heart. Are you living, loving Him with all your heart? Or is this just another part in your segmented life? Well, it's Sunday, I'm going to church. Well, it's a time to open your word. I guess we're going to listen to somebody speak now. Well, they passed this offering plate, and I feel really guilty if somebody stands here with an offering plate, and I don't have anything. Do you really love Him with all your heart? With all the understanding, with all your strength, and to love 
That's the other thing, right? Jesus is asked the greatest commandment, and he doesn't stop with love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, does he? But to love your neighbor as yourself. You'll remember, we're going to look at another text here in just a second, but you'll remember this rich young ruler guy. Most of the time we think of this rich young ruler. What, what, is it, what does it mean that I should inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, what does the law say? What does the Torah say? Well, it says to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. Jesus says, do these and you will live, right? We all want to live, right? Do these and you will live. And we're not talking about, we're not talking about a pulse. We're not talking about our lungs expanding. We're, we're not talking about those kind of, that kind of living. We're talking about living, right? I've come that you may have life, life to the full, he says in John 10. Do these things and you will Live. And it says the rich young ruler, this young man who was very wealthy according to world standards, went away sad. Why did he go away sad? Because everything that he valued was something that he owned. Go give all those things away, Jesus says. And then come follow me. But as long as you've got all these idols over here, you're not really loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You're not loving your brother as yourself. You follow? See, the problem is not that we have with God. We all think that we ought to worship God. We all think, I mean, in our own little minuscule ways. The problem is, is that I become very bitter toward you. I have issues with you, and you have issues with me. And you may not like what I do, and I may not like what you do. And Satan throws his foot in the door, and he divides us. Right? How many times are we told in Scripture about Satan coming in and dividing individuals and families and groups? It happens all the time. And Jesus goes on to say in that same text in Mark chapter 12, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Right? Look over at Luke chapter 10 for me, just a second. Luke chapter 10. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you Hopefully you're able to turn and listen at the same time. In 1 John 3, somebody write this down. 1 John 3, beginning in verse 15. Listen, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You don't have to kill anybody. Me and the guys were talking about murder earlier, and we talked a little bit about the death penalty even. But listen to what John tells us. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life. There's that word. No murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In him. By this we know love that Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let me offer to you again, our problem is not with God. I mean, we have our own issues with God, but I'm talking about the most important problem is our brothers. The problem is love your brother as yourself. Right? Because I'm very judgmental toward you. And if I don't like what you say, if I don't like what you do, if I don't like how you act, I may not directly tell you. I may, if I'm really brutal. Most of the time I just go tell somebody else, right? Do you know what they did? You, you know what they did? You know what they shouldn't have done? And what happens is every time we do that, every time we gossip, every time we complain about somebody, 
Every time we're judgmental, Satan is just... And it's getting wider and wider and wider. It's, it's very clear here in this letter from John. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brothers in need, he says in verse 17, yet closes his heart against him, there's a 67-year-old lady that lives behind Dwight and Anne. And Dwight and Anne can't live... Let a, let a 67-year-old lady who has nothing... Just go by the wayside come September the 10th. And guess what, church? Because we know of this 67-year-old lady who has nothing, we must do something about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what the church is. We don't don't say, well, I wish you well. Go and be well. Go be fed. Good luck. We do something about it. right? That's what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. Am I making any sense? Those last six things that we talked about this morning from Exodus chapter 20 have to do with our relationship one with another. There's nothing wrong with having a list and praying about certain people, but when you know, when you know of an issue and you don't do something about it, are you really loving? Are you really loving? I I asked you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Look what it says beginning in verse 25. I alluded to this just a few minutes ago. Listen to what it says. Behold, a lawyer stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? The man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That sounds like the first five commandments we talked about last week, doesn't it? Right? No other gods. No images. No graven images. Uh, keep the Sabbath. All those things are about our relationship with God, right? And your neighbors yourself. Don't murder. Don't covet. Don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. You get the idea? In other words, how Jesus defines it in Mark chapter 12, how this man defines it, this good Jew defines it, is if you love God, you're going to love your brother. If you love your brother, it's evidence that you love God. Isn't it not? I mean, we talk about love God, love people, love by going. You understand that's right out of Scripture, right? It's not just some catchy phrase that we want to hang our hat on from time to time. We really want to be about what God says we should be about. Loving God. Loving people and loving by going. And Jesus said to him, verse 28, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I love the honesty here. Luke says, but desiring to justify himself. How many of us, when we're called on the carpet about something to change in our life, we desire to justify ourselves? If you're honest, that's you. That's me. But desiring to justify himself, he says to Jesus, Yeah, but. Remember we talked about that last? Yeah, but. 
I'm too, I'm too busy. I don't have enough time in the day. I wish I had 28 hours in it. Well, guess what? Time is set up for us, not for God. God is outside time and space, and you will always have 24 hours in a day. You always get to choose how you spend 24 hours in a day. Don't give the excuse of my time. No, no more yow butts about your time. You control your time, or somebody else will control your time for you. You follow? Or you, good Christian person, you control your time, or guess what? The enemy will control your time for you. Don't, get, don't give me the excuse about time. I don't have any time. Well, I'm, I'm really not set up to do that. I, I don't have the talent for that. Don't give me the excuse of talent. Somebody else has a talent. You come use your talent. They'll use your ta their talent, and guess what happens? It all begins to work out because we're all doing that communal thing, right? We're becoming the community that God wants us to become. And we could talk about treasure all day long. But, but no more of these wanting to justify ourselves, giving an excuse of yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. There is no yeah, buts. There's no excuses. And he says, who is my neighbor? So Jesus answers this way. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You guys know this story, right? Sometimes it's good to be reminded of things you know. A man was going down from Jerusalem. That's kind of interesting. What is Jerusalem? It's a holy city according to the Jews, right? He's going the short distance to Jericho. So this guy who's coming from Jerusalem may have been pretty religious. But he falls among robbers and stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. The priest, I mean, come on. Preachers are really busy, right? Right? Everybody nod your head like this, right? You don't really believe it, I know. But anyway, this priest probably was busy. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, the Levites. You guys remember who the Levites are in the Old Testament? Levites are priests as well. They're, they're religious people. They serve in the temple. They're might be called deacons, they might be called elders, but there's, there's, some, there's some kind of significance they have for this in the kingdom of God. When he came to the place, he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And I did the same thing. But a Samaritan, who's a Samaritan? Samaritan's a dog. Samaritan's an unclean person. Samaritan is a heathen. Samaritan is the most vile person you could imagine in the ancient Near East when it comes to the Jews. A Samaritan, he comes along... He sees him, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn. He took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, which is not a small amount of money. He took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus said, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? You, you kind of see what Jesus does, right? He's a great teacher. He turns the question from the man back on himself, right? Lord, who's my neighbor? Jesus doesn't really give him the answer, right? He gives him an illustration. Then he says, which do you think of these three is a neighbor? Is it the priest who walks by on the other side? Ah, maybe he's just busy. He's got a yow butt, right? Or it's a Levite who sees the same thing. He's got something to do, right? Maybe he's busy. 
No, but it's a Samaritan. This, this person that you would think is beyond any kind of grace, beyond any kind of love. I mean, these, these Samaritans are half-breeds. They've intermarried with pagan individuals. They, they have gone beyond God's grace, right? Surely not the Samaritan. Man is forced to answer in verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go. Lord, who's my neighbor? You see, it's much more than just, we see in Exodus chapter 20 don't murder, don't covet, don't steal, don't take your neighbor's wife. Don't take their possessions. It's, it's much more than that. If I've got crimes against humanity, if I've got something against you, what, what does Jesus say? How important is it for us to reconcile? Well, when you come to worship and you're bitter against me for something I may have done or you may think I've done, or vice versa, if I'm bitter toward you, what are we told to do? We're told to leave our gift at the altar, go be reconciled, and then come back and offer your gift. Everybody understand what I'm talking about, right? That's the importance of reconciliation. That's the importance that Jesus ha- or God has for loving your neighbor. Did you, see, did you see what it says here about your neighbor? Who is your brother? Who is your neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. He had compassion. How do we know he had compassion? Well, first of all, he went to him. I think that's up here, right? He went to him. He he took time out of his day. I may not have time to go help a 67-year-old lady move between now and September 10th, but I'm going to make time. Right? Sometimes ministry is inconvenient. We we always have these yow butts, and we always pass by on the other side of the road, and we say, well, so-and-so can do that. So-and-so's better at that. Or it's really not it's really not the time of day, you know, it's past nine o'clock and I don't get text past nine o'clock, so I'm not gonna pay attention to that till tomorrow. You understand what I'm saying? Right? But he goes to him. All of us, perhaps, most of us at least, have heard this text before. But I wonder if we think about that phrase that he went to him. Because the priest didn't go to him. The Levite wouldn't go to him. We, <laughs> I hope things work out for you, buddy. Right? Got a flat tire on the side of the road? Man, I hope somebody's coming for you. Everybody's got a cell phone, right? We give excuse after excuse. We give the yow butts of why we shouldn't stop. We give yow butts of why we shouldn't go help this 67-year-old lady, right? God forgive us. He took time to do something about the need. If you've been given knowledge, that doesn't mean you're wise. Wisdom is about using the knowledge you've been given to do what God wants you to do. You hear what I'm saying? You, you know about the 67... I keep coming back to her because that's the example we have for us today. If we, if we know about... If we have knowledge of this dire need that she has, it's only wise as followers of Christ, if we go and do something about it. It's only wise if we stop, like the Samaritan did, took time out of our day, 
and did something. It took, we were inconvenienced. He took the time. We also know that He's compassionate. How so? Because He bound up His wounds. How many times have you run across somebody and you think, man, I really want to do something for this person, but I really don't want to touch them. I mean, binding his wounds meant he had to touch him. Right? I've, I've uh, had encounters with homeless people, who, people who, have never, who haven't had a shower in weeks at least, maybe months. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Right? And there again, we can give you excuse after excuse after excuse of leave it to somebody else. If I just give him money, he's just going to go drink it away. He, he's, a, he's just probably an addict. He's probably going to go use drugs. I mean, you understand all the yow butts, all the excuses we give? He touched him. Jesus. When you think about three and a half years of public ministry, the way Jesus does is He, he touches people that nobody else wants to touch, right? He deals with lepers. You know what lepers are, right? Unclean. You guys have seen the movies, right? Unclean, unclean, unclean. And when I walk by and say unclean, that's your, that's your sign to go away because anytime a good Jew comes in contact with or close enough to somebody who's a leper or worse yet, somebody who is physically dead, they've defiled themselves. They can no longer worship, right? And what does Jesus do? The good Jewish rabbi shows up and it's not just about a religious thing. He's actually touching the unclean. And then Jesus tells us to go and do likewise? Why do we, why do we feel sorry? Listen, why do we feel sorry for somebody from a distance? I'll put you on our prayer list. Right? But we never... But we never do anything about it. We never go touch them. He bound up his wounds, it says. He, he went and he touched him. He set him on his own animal. He shared what he had. I can't... There's been several times, guys, gals, I'm not telling you this to pat myself on the back or anything like that. You've got to understand my heart. But there's been several times I've put somebody in my truck and done what I thought was necessary and had to go clean my truck. You understand what I'm saying? But I'm willing to share what God has given me. Because it's not my truck. It's not my house. It's what God has allowed me to oversee for a time. But this ownership thing, we've got a real problem with this in the West, right? We're good, red-blooded, Texan individuals who own everything, right? Man, no, it's not ours. It's God's. And so why don't we share what we have? He set him on his own animal. He brought him and he took care of him. He went out of his way. You know, I, I, would, I would stop and help you, brother, if I was going that way. But guess what? I'm not going that way. Well, maybe that opportunity. We pray for ministry. I've, I've said this before. We pray for ministry opportunities all the time. And we think ministry opportunities should be convenient. Come on. Do you think Jesus, God in the flesh, coming to earth was convenient? 
Read Philippians 2. No, it was not convenient. He gave up equality with God. And he came and was a servant, humble enough even to go to the cross. Do you think the cross was convenient? And yet, we always have these yow butts. If I was going that way, I'd give you a ride. If I, if I didn't have to go out of my way to go to the ATM and give you a few dollars, I'd, I'd do it. But I, man, that's just incapable. No, he, he went out of his way. He, he brought him to the inn and he took care of him. And then notice what it says. Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii. This is a big one, so listen for a second. Took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper saying, this is a Samaritan. This is a... Jews and Samaritans don't talk. They they don't like each other. But this Samaritan has gone out of his way, right? And he goes so far as to say, here's two denarii, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, make a note of it, and I will repay you when I come back. You know, sometimes we get convicted by a message or we are challenged by something. Let me give you an example. We, we begin loving somebody, but when they don't do what we expect them to do, or when what we would call we do, they don't appreciate what I'm doing for them, we stop. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? I, I'm, I'm going to love you by paying your rent this month. And when you're not gracious enough, I'm going to stop loving you. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you and, and put you in a, a detox or a rehab place. And Man, I hope you're grateful because you, you understand what I've done? And when you don't fly right, and, and you don't put the the booze away or whatever, that I'm going to stop loving you. We, we put all these restrictions on our love, right? Right? Yes, we do. Love without expectations is really love. Love with expectations is no love at all. You follow? Notice what it says. This guy loved him to the full. I've got to go away. I'm going to take care of some business, but by golly, I'm going to come back. And you make a ledger. And you tell me whatever it is I owe you, I'm going to love this guy like he's never been loved before. Guys, gals, isn't that the Gospel? Isn't that the good news? Isn't that that God loved us so much that even when you, even when you fail, that He still loves you? That's what it means to love your brother as yourself. These crimes against humanity, these crimes against communities, crimes against individuals, the six things we talked about today are exactly that. And so when Jesus says, and the second is like, remember, He wasn't asked about the second, He was asked about the first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And the second is, He doesn't even take a breath, and the second is, love your neighbors yourself. And John would go on to say in one of his epistles, Don't claim you love your brother if you're not loving God. Don't claim you love God if you're not loving your brother. How do I know you're loving your brother? By what you do. You've been given opportunity to do something. 
And the greatest example that we have of somebody loving us by doing something is the Incarnation. Is God coming in the flesh of Jesus Christ and showing us what it means to serve. We can say we love God and we love God and we love God and that's all well and good. But we, do we love people? And, and we can even say we love people. But do we love by going? Well, goodness, man, I remember in the 80's where we just posted a sign out front and said, here's where we're meeting, you know? Come, come join us on Sunday. Come. There's people in your life. Listen. Let me, let me make eye contact with each of you. There's somebody in your life, somebody that you connect with, Somebody that needs to be here on Sunday. Somebody needs to know Jesus Christ. The Jesus Christ you claim to know. And Jesus is wanting you to ask them about the relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is wanting you to invite them to a community at Hillcrest Christian Church. Why haven't you invited them? Why haven't you told them about Jesus? Yeah, but. No yeah, buts. Do you love them enough to do something about their need? Are you compassionate like this man we just read about in Luke chapter 10? Because if you're really compassionate, you're not, you're not happy with moving to the other side of the road and going on your way. Will you love people? Will you love by going? I see the same people at at Caldwell. I see the same people at Town Creek. I see the same people everywhere I go. And I appreciate your prayers. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate your prayers. But if it's not Caldwell, if it's not Town Creek, if God calls you to somewhere, that He's probably calling a few more of us somewhere, right? Tell me where it is you're going and serving so I can join you in going and serving. But don't just sit back on the sidelines. Or don't cross to the other side of the road and say, I hope it all works out for you. Let's go. Let's serve. Let's go by doing. Let's go by loving. Let's go and be like Jesus was, right? He loved us. Let's go and do.